fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. Co-host today is Miss Jennifer Ann Gordon. Hi, Alan. <laughs> uh, well, how are you doing? Hey, you know what? I guess what I saw. I saw this on the internet, and I thought this is a great, great uh, object for Halloween. And it's a it's a Christmas sweater, and it's got a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer on it. And I it love says, it already. You do you have it already? No, but I love I. And you know what the words, wording on it is? I eat guys like you for dinner. <laughs> I, thought, I thought this would be great. I could wear that. and I, I don't like wearing sweaters. but I don't like wearing Christmas sweaters, but I do have one that has a, a T-Rex on it. But I feel like Jeffrey Dahmer might be more my vibe. <laughs> exactly. And he's really looking crazy. He's got like black eyes in it. He looks like he's had a rough day and or maybe a good day for him, depends. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to tell. Yeah. <laughs> potato, <laughs> potato. I've seen all the movies and TV shows. <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You know. <laughs> you know. You don't you do know that I don't know if you know this, but one of the uh one of my co hosts on this show, uh Steven David Lampley was on for about four or five years, and he went on to Nancy Grace's show and is still on her show. Um, but, you know, he was a roommate, or not a roommate, but a, a classmate of Dahmer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Did you ever um, read the book or see the movie uh, My Friend Dahmer? I've seen them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it was based on a graphic novel, which was really interesting. And, again, it was, a, it was written... Uh, by a, like a high school classmate of his. Yeah, I think that's great. Well, I mean, not for the not. I for mean, the... not for not for the victims. <laughs> no, but for the for for the classmate, he made some money. I mean, exactly. a little bit. Wow. Yeah, because it's huge money in a oh, yeah. graphic novel. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. I, I you know, I guess I had a boring childhood. I never went to school with anybody like that. I think I was the weirdest person in the class. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. They had me labeled up there, too. (laughs) That's it. Stay away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that was life when I was young in Canada. I think I scared them. You know, they've never been the same since. So, (laughs) well, let's see. Now, we've got we've got Edward Green or known as E.A. Green on his book, and he's got the blessed flock out now. So let's talk about his book and everything. So welcome Edward. Hello, everybody out there in Radio Land. How y'all doing? They're not going to answer, just so you They're know. They're not going to answer. <laughs> uh, maybe in your head. Well, yeah. <laughs> you can hear. Oh, that's the clowns. <laughs> they talk yeah. to me. Oh, well, there you go. Well, you know, you know, we get we get emails, so I'll let you know what they say. But um, oh, they're cool. Well, yeah. So listen, 
um, you've been you've been out for a little while, and now you've you've come out. Now this is the blessed flock. Let's tell let's tell us a little bit about this. Um, what is the blessed flock, and kind of maybe the f- basic idea behind the book? The basic idea of the book is it's back during let's say uh, the late eighteen hundreds, mid to late, and a group of Protestants from the uh, East Coast. Uh, their leader at that time has this prophecy that God spoke to them and they need to head out west. And when they head out west, they end up finally finding an area that was prophesied about it. Look, it was a certain piece of land next to a river covered in apple trees. And it matched the prophet, prophecy exactly, but there was a group of Native Americans living there. And so what the founding fathers did was they slaughtered the Native Americans in the name of God because God told them to go do it. Well, in the long run, they end up getting cursed. So you're going to find out about this entire town from founding until its end of what they do and all the crazy preachers that come along. And uh, the town is literally it's just ate up with sin between sin and greed and lust. It's pretty extreme book. I made sure to give it a warning labels because I really don't know if kids 18 and under should be reading it. But, um, you know, I started reading nasty things like that when I was about 13. So, you know, nowadays you never know. Well, you know, if they're on TikTok, they probably <laughs> I've see seen it. Of, yeah, they've seen all sorts of stuff. But what's this? You've got Pastor Tucker. He's your kind of like your main guy there. Yes, right? he's the founder. And he's the prophet preacher that takes them there. And after they do the the bad deed, he ends up, in a sense, kind of getting a revelation that they were not supposed to kill these people. They were supposed to learn from them. Well, he goes crazy, like most prophets in the Old Testament did. They went crazy. And so he ends up slaughtering all the fathers. And so at that point, his family, his wife and his daughter at the time were told to leave, never come back. Well, so the book kind of picks up in the future to where her family, uh, her like grandmother, great grandmother, and all that, she's the last daughter of this family. And she's been told her whole life the town's gone, it doesn't exist. And she finds out it does. And so after her mother dies and her grandmother dies, she decides, you know what, they might kill me, but I'm going back because she's never had a father, and so she considers Jonathan Tucker not just her father, but he was the prophet. And so she's the prophet's daughter, so she thinks a little more of herself than she should have, and so she heads back. And then, so what you're going to find out is what they did, and then uh, what's going on in the town, because they literally will kill each other. They're just, that, the, they go crazy, because every year at a certain time, the cicadas come back. And this town is built in a valley that it acts like a tuning fork in all the trees and the people. And so every uh, 12 years, the cicadas come back, and it basically the sound is so loud down in that valley, it causes them to go crazy. And so this happens about every 12 uh, years, they go crazy, and whatever survivors are left continue on. And so this is the curse that follows them, and... In the future, when the gal Norbeth uh, Tucker, or Tolliver, Norbeth Tolliver is her name. She's Tucker's great-great-granddaughter. And so she decides to go back to the town, and she's there. She arrives after most of the town has already been suffering 
through this cicada plague. And so you get to see what happens to her. It has a supernatural vibe to it because when um, the Jonathan ends up, when they kill the Indians, uh, the, the tribe there, he thinks that, you know, they're all dead. And he comes across a little girl. And when he tries to kill her, she ends up turning into an eagle. And so he's all freaked out. Did he grab an eagle in the fog, Misty? In the Misty Fog? Or did he grab a girl? He's not sure now. And so that takes place where he gets hurt. And um, so this, there's this mysticism in a sense, a supernatural vibe, because in the, near the end of the book, then you're going to find out that a, a gal who runs the bed and breakfast, her name's um, Abenaki is her name, and she's from that tribe, and she ends up moving back to that town. So there's a supernatural vibe between the cicadas and her and Nora's coming back to, to the town. And so it's it's pretty extreme book. Intense, taboo subject matters. It's got adult language, sexual situations, because they literally have just basically delved into sin. They're just ate up with it. I remember back in the day, so I've known Ed for a few years now. I remember you and I were talking about this book once before when it was in its original form. And you talked about how it was very taboo. Yes. And were you nervous writing such dark material? Were you wondering, will the audience find it? Will they, what will they think of me as a person? I know sometimes I think as authors, we sometimes get a little scared to go that far in that dark. Were you scared to do that? Did you find it liberating? Did the clowns that live in your house tell you to read, to write this? <laughs> oh, the clowns tell me a lot of things. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I, um, I have a cousin, and she goes by A.A. Dark, and she writes the real dark erotica and all that stuff. And I actually asked her opinion, you know, when I write, is there any rules? And she basically told me that at this point, just write your book. And then when you send it in, if the editor or the publisher has a problem with it, then, you know, you'll deal with that if you have to change things or not. You know, that's all up in the air at that point. And so I just sat down and I wrote it. I just, you know, threw all caution to the wind. Now that I'm through with it, I get what you're saying because my partner, he's all like, oh, what are they going to say? I'm scared. They're going to react this way. And I'm thinking, you know, yeah, I'm going to roll some feathers. I'm probably going to roll a lot of feathers between the religious community and uh, the fact that it's it can be quite vulgar in places with the language and stuff. But at this point, you know what? I don't care. I'm, I'm an artist. This is how they are. That's why I put it in the disclaimer. I did not write this book promoting what you're about to read. I do not agree with what the characters are doing in this book. I do not condone it. It is just a book. And so I'm, I know there's still going to be those that think, yeah, that's a bunch of bullshit. Oh, my. You know, just blowing hot air. But it, to me, it's just a book in a sense. I'm not writing it to promote anything other than my writing. And so, yeah, it was at first a little bit, but now I'm just like, you know, it's, it's my book. You either can take it or leave it. Yeah, and I think, would you consider this a horror novel? Because I think in, with horror, we can get away with a little bit more than than most other writers can. <laughs> I do consider it horror because once you find out what happens in the town, it is a horror story of what she finds and runs across. 
because at that point, most of the town's gone when she arrives. And so it gets, it does delve into horror really deep also. So it, it's got a little of everything in it. You said Pastor Tucker's daughter. What was her name? Ivanka? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, thank God, no. <laughs> his wife is Mary, and they called his daughter Little Bit. Oh, my gosh, that was my nickname as a kid. Was it? <laughs> That's what my father called me. Oh, boy, now we're finding Uh-oh. out the truth behind the story here. What's going on? So Little Bit is basically Nora's great-great-grandmother. And she was alive when her, da- when her dad, Pastor Tucker, basically sl- they helped slaughter the tribe, and then he turns around and he slaughters the founding fathers because they won't repent like he feels they need to. And so he makes sure they repent. Do they have rallies too? No. Um, I, I, <laughs> no, but how do you keep track of so many characters over so much time? And, and how do you experience these characters? Like, are you, do you hear them in your head? How is the audio going? Is it kind of like watching a movie? Or do you have a totally distant, you know, relationship with your characters? I actually, uh, first I make cheat notes. I, because I know at times I might want to remember a birthday or a month or something they did or said. And so I have, I actually make a little cheat note sheet I keep with me. And, I'm going to say I am one of these blessed people. I can shut my eyes. I can step back, and I can literally step into the scene. And to me, I'm looking at what they're seeing. I'm smelling what they're seeing. The wind's blowing in my head. I'm feeling it, and I'm feeling the emotions and how I should, what they're feeling. So, yeah, in a sense, um, my partner kind of gets mad at me because when I quit writing or when I come out of it that I'm literally I'm brain fried for sometimes at least an hour to the rest of the day because it's like trying to come back from one reality into or, or not a reality but come back into reality so yeah it's like I'm in two places at different times when I write it's it's really I don't know how else to explain it except it's almost as if I'm there while I'm writing the scene well so do you dress like your characters too uh, well, yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> so you're wearing a pastor's outfit during, yes. <laughs> during the writing. Uh, no, we haven't gone to that point yet, but, you know, my other half can be kind of kinky, so you never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Let's get into awesome. that. Awesome. <laughs> I'm like, these are the questions we should be asking. Yeah, this is what we're getting into here. Like, so now. do we? are we doing blessed flock role play? Uh, no, well, no cicadas no. were harmed during the yeah, yeah. writing of this. Were harmed, I promise. Yeah, see, pastor outfit with black panties. I could see it now. Fish night yeah. stockings. Oh, well, that now, see? Yeah. Now we got the truth. Frankenfurter Rocky Horror vibe. No, this has got to affect you emotionally. A big section like this, if you're into the other realities you say when you get into it and you're going through the story and you're writing it and you're feeling the emotions and you're it's like you're there and you're you're actually the characters in a way and you come out of it um when you look back at this when you go through the experiences that your characters do how does that change you do you think as a person or as a writer well i think for one it changes me to get me closer to these individual people but I do know that it, what it does change is when I get done, sometimes I feel like I'm on a high, and I've got to calm down. And it can take me a month before I even start my next book because those characters are still, their emotions are still flowing through my head. 
and it's if I, you know, I felt them. So it's like I get this really weird high that I just carry with me until the book's really done. Like I said, that high can last up to a month after because of all the emotions, the feelings. Uh, it's in my thoughts when I lay down to go to sleep. I've got my mind seeing scenes in my head could I have written it better this was going on and so it does have an effect on me we were talking before the show and you were saying that so the blessed flock is I mean it's really an epic it's a close to a thousand pages of a story of one story so for me I can hardly wrap my brain around how an author can do that because I I know I can't do that uh, did you go into it knowing what was going to happen? Did you know the end? Did you outline it? Like, are you a pantser? Did this just come to you each night in your dreams, like telling your story? My books just come to me. Um, it's just in my head. Um, I, I don't do formats. Uh, usually what happens is I'll come up with an idea. I think that would be a great story. And nine times out of ten, I've already got the beginning, how I want to start it, and I already know how, an idea how I want it to end. It's like it just comes to me. Cicadas, when it was originally called Year of the Cicada, I carried just that title with me close to ten years because I didn't know what kind of story to write. I had no clue. And I was just sitting on my porch one day, and the wind chimes were blowing with a storm coming in, and instantaneously it popped in my head how to write it, how it was going to go, and it just came out of nowhere. Just blew your fist mitts right off. You sure did. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't have a point to it when you were writing it, but as you went through it, do you have sort of a, a, a subtext or a meaning to this story that you want readers to get? No, I mean, I'm not trying to push any kind of, uh, you know, Agenda. <laughs> huh? Agenda, yeah. No, there's no agenda in it at all. Um, the thing basically is it's, it's just a really good story, and um, it's, it is kind of cultish pretty much. Well, they is like a cult because of what they do and how they hide the stu uh, their past and how they were willing to follow, and they think way more of themselves than they should have because they're Protestants. <laughs> and so they're white Protestants, so... You know, there's nothing better and holier than a white Protestant, according to these people. And so it's just a lot of my stories. No, there's no agenda at all. It's, it just comes to me. I don't lay it out. I just write. And as it comes to me, I keep on writing. Then once we're done, I just go back and uh, edit and write some more before I do my usually third or final edit and that involves my um, writing program. It actually reads it back to me. So at that point, I can see what I might have missed or thought, oh, something can go in here because that associates with it. Like when I first got the book back, it was almost 400 pages. And so by fixing it and adding and writing that was missing, it grew almost, an, almost another 600 pages. Do you have, you know, like a group of beta readers? Or like who's the first person besides yourself to get their eyes on the book? Like do you... Does your partner read it? Because sometimes, like, if I write something really weird, my husband's like, oh, I want to read it. And I'm like, oh, I don't really want you to be the first one to read it. <laughs> I would rather, maybe it would be better if it was a stranger. <laughs> no, I wish I had some beta readers. My partner's not really a big reader. He's a, more of a visual. He loves movies and uh, music, and that's his forte. 
but he is around when it reads it back to me, so he does get to hear it. And at times he's even telling me, dude, that's just messed up. You're not going to get in trouble. I'm <laughs> like, well, I remember I'm not. So it, he's more of the worry work for us when it comes to should I have said that or should I have wrote that or, you know, it, it, it doesn't bother me that much. But beta readers, I wish I had more opportunity for beta readers, but no, most of my books I write and I put on Amazon and or put them out there, and I give them away free at times for like a week. I give that free Kindle download for an entire week for each book. And even then, when I'm giving them away free, I still can't get hardly. But I think to, to date, I've only had like three or four people that have uh, actually made comments about my books. But other than that, no, I'm really missing in that area. Send it to some of the churches and see. I thought about that. <laughs> I think those are the bathrooms you should you should leave the book in. <laughs> Here's yeah, bathrooms. Yeah, go to the church bathrooms and leave it. You know, oh, maybe they'll burn them. I don't, how do you get your formulation on the cult, like you call them, or the kind of the religious group that you've got going on here? Do you do some research, or is this just from your own life? Did you come across some of people like this and and that? Where does that come from? Uh, it comes from two places. One, I was raised in the church my whole life, and I was uh, faithful in the church all the way up to about 35 when I finally realized this is ridiculous because I realized there's so many lies and misinterpretations, and it's been rewritten and changed. So I do have firsthand knowledge of what goes on behind those doors of who's sleeping with who, who got divorced with who, uh, pastors that say, you know, you can't question me. Well, that's the leader. You know, you don't question the leader. And then the other thing is I love watching uh, investigation shows and stuff about serial killers and cults. And I, I, so I've always been into that, too. And so I've got a lot of that about cults from what I've just experienced and what I've watched and what I've read. Oh. Religious people don't sleep with each other. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> That's easy to believe. Uh, yeah. I watched one one year. It was musical chairs. It was a total of six people who flipped <laughs> husbands, changed husbands and wives, remarried. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> okay. So do you, do you actually have characters in this that were inspired by real people you know? Maybe a little. I, like I said, I got my experiences in there. Now, the book I'm writing on, right, working on right now, 70 times 7, is actually about 60, 70% based on someone I know personally. So I do at times mix some of my life and my experiences in, the things I've heard or, you know, been a part of or knew of. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of me in almost all my books. And um, who's your, who is your kind of like, um, I don't want to say favorite character, what's the most memorable character in this series? i got to say it's got to be Nora, her mother, um, Little Miss Bitch, and her grandmother, Adeline. Because um, while you're hearing about the town, this uh, extended family of Jonathan Tucker's that's not there, they basically uh, work the state fair uh, rounds. And um, 
since they have actually brought with them when they were kicked out, she took some of the apple trees that grow in the town with her. And so her, his offspring actually are apple bakers and they bake all kinds of dishes and they compete at state fairs and you get to see what all they're doing in their life and some of the things and what they do to win, <laughs> what grandma and them are willing to pay whatever price it takes to get the win. And so you get to kind of see just how sexually deviant they can be. And so it's, it, there's a lot going on in this book. It really is. You might have to read it a couple of times because I've got Easter eggs throughout the whole thing. And you'll realize down the road, oh, I didn't know that. Or I didn't realize that. that that's a good thing there because there's a lot of secrets that I kind of let slip here and there. But if you're not paying attention, you'll miss them. So basically it's like a very dark, queer, patent place. <laughs> with horror. Yeah, with horror. <laughs> um, so I kind of wanted to ask about, so queer horror is having such a huge moment right now, um, especially kind of like extreme queer horror. Would you consider this book, your work in general, queer horror? It's not, in a sense, I want to say queer horror, but the first individual killed in the town is a gay man. Ugh, that's how it always goes. Yep, he's slaughtered. He's he is literally slaughtered, and that's how it starts off is the finding of his body, and it goes on from there. And you'll learn about him. So yes, there is an actual uh, uh, partnership in it in the beginning, and so that is mixed in there also. I have that in a number of my books. I'm not afraid to kind of throw that in, whether it be in my crime dramas or like horror or any of that. So, yeah, it starts off right off the bat. It's like I'm already probably throwing punches that others are not going to probably like. But, you know, it's just a story. That's all it is. It's just a story. <laughs> it's just a story. No, I mean, I feel like as queer writers, because this is like my second time I've been on this show as a co-host, and I love it because last time we had a queer writer, this time we have a queer writer. Um, I think it's just really important for us to, like, use our voices as queer authors and, and put – representation for us in our work it's kind of hard when we write really dark fiction to have it be like yay us but <laughs> yay sorry they're probably gonna die <laughs> yeah you know I, I'm, I'm glad to say you know I'm, I'm a gay author I'm queer <laughs> um, but I I have yet to write a book let's just say based on uh, queer relationships and all that but I do not mind at all mixing them in. And so who knows? I might write one someday where it's just all about that. But I do go there. And like I say, a lot of those in the community, will there will be a number that probably won't like the fact that I killed a gay man right off the bat. Because I think even Stephen King got in trouble for it. And that he upset the community. Yeah. Uh, he killed the gay guy a little later on in the book. Well, couldn't you have the gay guy identify as a straight man? Uh, no, they purposely came out that way. That's good. I'm proud now. Well, I'm just trying to help you out here. <laughs> you know. They didn't know he was gay when they killed him. Yeah. He was, uh, oh, he was yeah, acting. now they knew. <laughs> oh, well, the, well, so this brings me to, are you, do you involve a lot of the sex and violence in the story? Like when you say, he was the first one killed. Do you do you go through the murders of someone like that, describe the, the slaughtering, or do you just pick up with the body? 
in the beginning, it picks up with the body, but no, into the story, you're going to find exactly how he was killed, why he was killed. And to be honest with you, he wasn't killed for being gay. It's just, like I said, when the cicadas show up, everybody starts losing their mind because of how loud it is down in the valley. And so this guy that kills him, he just snaps. And what causes him to snap is the, his gay neighbor has probably over a hundred wind chimes hanging around his front porch. And this guy lives right next door. And so he finds out some devastating news on that day. And then between the cicadas and the wind chimes, he snaps. And he had no intention of killing the guy in the beginning. But when he gets over there on his porch, he sees what the guy's actually doing on his porch because he was a hedge. So the neighbor can only see about his head up. And when he gets on the porch, he catches the guy basically uh, having sex, pleasuring himself. But he's speaking out loud, and the person he's speaking about is now standing over him. And he's a very religious, straight man that is hearing this gay man laying there playing with himself, using his name of what he wants him to do to him, and oh, and daddy, and all this stuff. And that's when he just snaps and kills him. But it wasn't because of his sexuality. It just happened to be the fact he just lost his mind, and that was the final straw. I feel like wind chimes and cicadas is a really bad combo. That could make anybody go a little crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I live near a swamp, and there's, like, peepers in the spring, these frogs, and they're so loud that I'm just like, I can't deal with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm from down in South Texas where we got bayous, and, yeah, we'd go camping down there, and at night the frogs could be crazy. So, so what do you do, Jennifer? Is the husband still alive, or what happened? Oh, the husband's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> Is he tied up in the basement? <laughs> Being beaten. I mean, I can't legally talk about that. No, he's uh, he's tied to his work computer. because <laughs> I mean, someone has to pay the bills. <laughs> I'm glad he's probably not going to listen to this. Um, yeah. Actually, he probably will, and he'd be like, really? You said <laughs> somebody has to pay the bills? <laughs> so, so, Edward, how long did it take you to put together this? I started originally in 2013 is when I first wrote the book. Wow. As it was originally. And I did not get it published until January of 2020. And then when I got it back, uh, back I got it back, I probably spent another three uh, months. So altogether, if I... Sit down and say if I will continuously. It's probably a good two years on the book. So, so what's what's up next for you? Where, do you, where are you going to go to now? Uh, my next one I'm working on right now is called Seventy Times Seven. Um, it's about a girl that had a horrible life, um, and her mother was a prostitute, drug addict, and this girl that it affected her, and you know her life is total. How dare you! And Right before she goes to prison, she ends up, in a sense, let's say, getting saved. Well, she wants to save her mother. You know, she wishes her mother wasn't in hell. And while she's in prison, her cellmate is a Catholic gal that tells her about purgatory. And that if you can get into purgatory, there's a secret pathway through hell called Torment Alley. 
And if you want to try and rescue somebody, get them out of hell, you have to go down Torment Alley to get to these people that you want. And so she and this gal make a pact to kill each other. That way you're not, in a sense, committing murder, but you are committing murder. So you're kind of like murdered, but you committed murder. And so it kind of, the scale is balanced, and that'll throw you into purgatory. She has to go through purgatory and through this alleyway, and periodically she has to relive parts of her past. And it's a bad past. The things that were done to the scale, I mean, even today would probably throw a parent in, under the jail cell. But when she experiences this stuff, if she has any kind of emotional reaction to it whatsoever, she has to start all the way back again at the beginning of the first gate with no memory whatsoever of what she's already experienced. So she has no clue how if she got to the third gate, she'll have no clue she made it to an eighth one. She just has no clue every time she starts over. It's like she, it's her first time there. And so basically hell is repetition. And so she just has to keep going and going. And uh, whether she uh, saves mama or not or whatever happens, that will have to be, you know, I can't let that cat out of the bag. That's one of my favorite things is these wild endings. I tend to leave them with the, did they or didn't they? <laughs> do you drink a lot or do you drive? Like, where do, where do these ideas come from, do you the think? The clowns, and, Alan. They come from the clowns. Well, yeah, the clowns. Yeah, but that's where, do you hang out with them? No, but uh, so are the, are the, let's see, are the characters who come to you first and then you put them in the situation? Or is it the story and then you put in characters? Yeah, it's the idea, the story. There are times here I'll sit and me and my other half will bounce off ideas. And that's why I'm, I give him credit because there's at least three or four books that he's helped me come up. Oh, that'd make a great story. And so that's usually as I come up with the story first. And that's usually how I have the beginning and the end already figured out. And from then on, I just start writing. And if I feel, you know, I hear a character say, oh, oh, what about this one or her mother over here? Or, you know, don't forget about this guy right over there. And, it just pops in my head. It literally does. These things just come in. I Drinking now, I'm one of these people that I might have a drink now and then, like my birthday, New Year's Eve, you know, stuff like that. But I am, I'll say this, I live in a state where weed is legal. Hooray. And uh, does that help? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it helps everybody. Um, oh, yeah. So, so the ideas come first. Like, so it'll pop in your head something kind of like high concept, like, oh, a girl walking through a secret passageway through hell. How long does it take you to actually develop the characters who are doing this? And how do you do that? Like, do you do you think do you see them in your head? Do you describe how they physically look? Do you like do you do homework, quote unquote, of like things that happened in their life that might never end up on the page, but you know it? Uh, no, I, like I said, that just kind of comes in my head. Uh, the only thing I do when it comes to homework is like um, when I wrote Father May I with the computer or the uh, quantum AI. My homework was it takes place in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And so my homework is I'm looking at what towns are around it. How do I want the character? This is the drama. So it's going to involve this point, this point, and this point. And so I'll do my research if I haven't been to that area of pictures and videos to give me an idea of what it looks like. 
So as I write my character, I want my reader and my character in my head that they're there. They look over and they see the rocky, the rocky outcropping, the trees and the breeze, and it's like I'm really on the path with them. And so I'm just writing what they see, and then I try and do my thing is not to over explain because sometimes that's just too much. Mm-hmm. But I also know if you don't give enough, then you're not connecting your reader either. You know, like, oh, he walked into a room and saw the dead body in the back. No, it's he got ready to walk in the room and a smell hit him. And as that smell hit him, he started having these emotions and these emotions as they peeked in. And then the room's all like disheveled and what's he seeing and what's broke. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those. I want you to actually feel as if you're looking through their eyes and feeling what they're feeling as you read it. Well, you know, maybe you should take up drinking. Could you imagine what it would be like then? <laughs> well, I could do like Stephen King did. He did the Coke and doesn't remember writing Cujo. <laughs> well, there you go. Bujo. Yeah. Anyway. So listen, um, do you, are you, you're set up on social media now. Do you have a website? Where can people find Ed? Um, all they have to do is Google E.A. Green slash The Green Man. And all my websites from Facebook to Instagram to TikTok to Slasher, all of my social media will actually pop up there. Um, the links to my books pop up there. Um, the last time I looked was last night, and there's like 20 or more options of where they can go to all these different sites and uh, I got a blog, which that's the first thing that pops up usually when you type in my name. And the blog is where I give my updates of what's happening and what's going on to everybody and heads up. But I do that on my other social media pages, too. I just, they're all out there. There's, um, yeah, I think there's like 20 to pick from. All the pictures are there. If you hit images, it'll show you all the different uh, photos that I do for my books and ideas. Um, I have a YouTube channel that pops up. Um, I make book trailers for all my books. And so you can find all the trailers there. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot that they can find. I mean, like I said, just Google EA Green, the Green Man, and you'll have plenty to pick from. Well, we'll have that up on our website. We'll put your, your website out up there. And uh, your grinder up there with pictures, too? <laughs> Uh, no, I had to get rid of that. Uh, some guy decided to try to blackmail me, thinking the world didn't know I was gay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a book on itself. <laughs> I know that's the book I want to. Yeah. You can find that with your clown collection, and I feel like yeah, um, oh. that's a that's a hit. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yes, it's called Send in the Clowns. To where they just show up in a town, like you know how the clowns were appearing all over the United States there for a while. Well, yeah. kind of find out they've got their own little circus and they like to come in and you know, you always need more clowns. So they show up in a town and Yeah, my mom collected clowns growing up, so I have a a, a bit of a phobia. Oh. Mainly because I had to dust them so many times. Yeah, you wouldn't like my clowns. They're not the nice clowns, they're all the evil clowns. Oh, no, I have no problem with those. At least they're, okay. they're, they're being honest. <laughs> yeah, there's Shits, Giggles, and Wally and his dolly. That's my three in the house right now. <laughs> wow. There, there you go. John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> in fishnets. 
I just don't have an attic or a cellar. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, at least let you tell us. Yeah, sure. Anyway, <laughs> the book is great. So now it's out, and people can pick it up now. Uh, again, it's called The Blessed Flock, and it's, it's part of his Cicada series, and it's uh, book one to four, and this is book one. Edward Green, thank you for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ed. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.